Welcome back to Son of a Preacher Man, a podcast that's all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. In this episode, Jonathan interviews pastor, author, songwriter, and liturgist Aaron Nyquist. They discuss his brand new book, The Eternal Current, how a practice-based faith can save us from drowning. They also discuss evangelicalism and liturgy found in those spaces. We hope you enjoy. Well, Aaron, I'm so thrilled to have you on. You truly are uh, one of my best friends, and I feel like we've been on such a journey together from very similar kinds of places, uh, kind of on this sacramental train. And I mean, I've just been so uniquely looking forward to this book coming out because I feel like it's such an important story that people need to read. So first of all, congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, it does. I mean, this is my first book. And so I've watched it done, but I've never done it. And it is, it is quite a, quite an ordeal. Um, I remember when they said you have to have the first draft done 13 months before public pub date. Yeah. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to believe these things 13 months, you know, right. thankfully I do. In fact, increasingly, but, um, yeah, it's been a wild process, <laughs> man. I bet it's, uh, well, you know, it's just, you've just, you're, I feel like there are a lot of books about these kind of ideas about theorists, but you're such a, such a practitioner. And this has really come from experimentation, from trial and error, and, you know, I, maybe the, the best place to start, I mean, you've, you've been in a lot of different kind of spaces, working with Rob Bell kind of during the heyday at Mars Hill, working at Willow Creek, um, being in, in such centers of influence kind of in evangelical spaces, and yet having this longing for something a little more rooted, a little deeper. Where did that, mm. where did that restlessness start for you? Yeah, great question. Um, t- you know, to be honest, and this is, this is such a common story. Um, it started in desperation. Mm. It started when my, I was a worship leader. This was the first time at, I was worship leader at Willow right out of college, um, high school, leading the high school ministry. And, uh, uh, you know, it was exciting and, you know, thousand students show up and we're doing all this big, you know, and my faith implodes. Mm. And, um, I wasn't angry it was just kind of done. <laughs> so, you know, every seven days I'm leading songs. I really don't believe anymore. And what was that crisis? Like what, what made your faith yeah. feel so constricted at that point? Well, it, it was so interesting. It wasn't like a, well, this bad thing happened. And so now I'm out or it wasn't even a, this issue is so big. I can't, it was like, it ran out of gas. Mm. It's like it, it, it ceased feeling vital to my life. Like what, what is it? And again, and you're familiar with this story. I had just grown up. So it was such the story of, um, you're a sinner. Jesus wants to save you. Believe these couple things, pray this prayer and then just wait. Mm. (laughs) And, um, it just, and that ran out of gas. There's gotta, there's either gotta be more or or I'm done with this thing. Mm. So it's very interesting, confusing, dark, um, season. Mm. And yeah. so, so, and when you started to recognize that within yourself, like, 
what did you do with it? Like, where do, where do you go when, when you're, especially when you're leading people yeah. in worship yeah. and you're having oh, your own man. faith crisis? Well, I, I think, you know, if we're talking Enneagram, do you, uh, do you talk Enneagram? On I do. Much? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like as an Enneagram four, uh-huh. the worst possible thing I can do is try to fake it. Mm. You know, if I feel like a fraud, that is, so I was not good at faking it. Mm. And I think that's good, <laughs> but it made me not very good at my job. Um, so I think there are two things that happened. One, it really went inward. And, um, I got really depressed. Um, I felt hopeless. Like, I don't know, you know, this has been the story of my whole life of my conscious and subconscious of my family. you know, so there's that side. And then, and I didn't realize this at the time, but I think in response to being, feeling, uh, scared, I went outward in cynicism. Mm. Like, Oh, I'll show you what's wrong. Mm. (laughs) You know, I'll show you that everything's fake. Hmm. I'll show you that everyone is pretending, uh, you know, and then it went outward. So I was, I was probably 23 and I was, uh, just deconstructing and trying to knock everything down. And there's probably, there, there are po- parts of life where that's really appropriate, but man, it's no way to live. Yeah. And it's especially no way to live if anyone wants to be close to you, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So what, um, so you kind of hit the stage of being just cynical and disillusioned. Yeah. What, yeah. you know, where did you, so where did sort of the, what, what did the yeah. reconstruction look like? Where did you start to find just stirrings of new life or something you felt like you could anchor down into? Absolutely. It was two things. One, it was a group of, uh, uh, a small group of people and they included my parents. Actually, my parents mm-hmm. are, are both Christians and from very traditional, um, uh, beliefs, but they really kind of stuck with me, which is beautiful. Yeah. And I had a couple friends who really walked with me. So just not having people say, Oh, you're, you're a faithless heretic, you know, you know, but just like, all right, let's keep talking. Let's keep walking. Mm. And one of those friends gave me the book, the divine conspiracy wow. by Dallas Willard. Mm. And that was the kind of portal to wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. there's a bigger story. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> What's this thing of of the kingdom of God you speak of? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, Dallas's book is the first time I had ever heard about the topic that Jesus did most of his teaching about. I've yeah. been a Christian for twenty years, yeah, and it's the first time I heard teaching on the kingdom. Yeah, and so at first I was a little frustrated, but then it just was so beautiful. Mm. And it just it, it it like conquered me. Mm. All right, if this is the story, I'm in. Yeah, if this is it count me in. So it's so weird how that, how divine conspiracy in particular has been a gateway drug for so many people. Because mm-hmm. when I had Brian Zahn on, that is his precise story is that is as a right? pastor, he was bottoming yeah. out. I mean, losing faith felt yeah. like the, yeah, the, supernaturally divine conspiracy was put in his hands. First time he'd ever heard of the kingdom. That's my story. I was 22 or three when I read it. And yep. it's like once yep. the, the whole idea that the, that the only gospel it is, is the gospel of the kingdom. It just, yeah. it just changed everything. And it's, it's interesting too, because like Dallas Willard was like this sort of very sweet, uh, reflective and brilliant, but kind of Baptist yeah. philosopher. Oh, yeah. yep. And yet yep. It, I just think I find it especially strange that for people like us that someone let someone like Dallas Willard, this sort of contemporary uh, kind of elegant Baptist 
put us on this more like ancient path? Like, so how, how, yeah. how did divine conspiracy sort of break you open to other things? Well, and that's this is an important thing. Well, side note, do you know Rob Bell started Mars Hill in a living room with five or six other people reading the divine conspiracy? I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. So that's I mean, it's just you. you so many places you look, it started, it often started with that journey. Wow. But to your question about how this Baptist um, philosopher really um, led so many of us into these uh, liturgical and more ancient streams, I think for me, the key is, and I, I talk a lot about this, people are asking about liturgy and all these things. And what I always want to say is it's not about old versus new. Yeah. It's not like old is cool now, so let's do ancient things. And then six months, there'll be something else. That's It's not about style. Yeah. Um, it's about formation. Mm. And that's what Dallas said. That, you know, Dallas was asking the questions, does your life have the kinds of practices that form you into Christ-likeness for the sake of the world? Mm. And for me, that's the animating question. Mm. I'm only interested in liturgical things because those, some of those at least, are time-tested practices that form broken people like me yeah. a little bit more into being open to what God is doing in the world. So it's about formation, not style of worship or something like that. As it is becoming more and more common that people from more evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic kind of streams are discovering yeah. the sacramental because I'm having that conversation absolutely everywhere. I I That's one of the reasons yeah. I'm so excited about this book is I really do feel like it's a representative journey for so many people that they're going to be able to find themselves in, even if they're earlier in the story. You know, you know, you've been you've been carving this path in real time, and I know as it is for anybody, any of us, you know, like it feels like wandering at the time, but it's been it's been it's been taking you somewhere. I'm just as this phenomenon picks up speed and and as we're engaging all this more, do you think there's a danger that some people do kind of come to liturgy and like making make think and they think it is about the form like that oh, oh we found yeah. we found the magic formula over here like is that a real temptation yeah. oh yeah i and i think there's a lot of that going on um but i, I don't know i i think it's a danger but i don't feel really critical about it yeah. because i think in god's grace we come often with bad motives or yeah. wrong understandings. Yeah. And then we stumble into a deeper stream that we probably never would have chosen mm-hmm. without that other gateway that let us in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if, if God requires pure motives or it all perfectly formulated in our brains, um, we're, we're all screwed. Right? That's true. So we come with these mixed motives and wrong understandings and then, grace invites us deeper. So, so to answer your question, yes, I think it is a thing and it does have some dangers, but I think grace wins out in the end. Well, cause when you stick through it. When you talk about this thing of formation, if you show up at the same place at the same time and do the same thing over and over again, yeah. it's yeah. going to change you. It I mean, part of like, you know, right. Stanley Harwas was so influential on me and of course stood under him at Duke and really at the heart of the Harwas, you know, kind of whole project is this whole notion of virtue ethics, you know, that just like if you if you do something long enough, you yeah. become habituated. It becomes who you yeah, are. What you right. do absolutely does become 
who you are over time. So it doesn't, it's not about purity of motive. You don't have to be sincere yep. enough. That has been very liberating to me about the, oh, the liturgical thing too. because I'm, I, I live so much of my life. I mean, I, I still struggle with this now, even doing the liturgy is that like, I mean, okay, so help me this morning, not to sound pious, but I'm going to kick <laughs> right now out of sheer desperation. I feel like I've been pushed in a good way to like sitting with Jesus in the mornings in a way like I have it in a while, yep. like really rich and it's been good, but like I'll even be doing the morning office from the Book of Common Prayer, and I still find myself thinking, uh, I don't feel like I'm sincere enough at this moment, and I feel like I'm only at like a 53% sincerity. Yep. Can I get myself up yep. to like 72%? Yeah. <laughs> but I think so, ideally, the liturgy can deliver us from that kind yes. of thinking, that, that, yes. that need to feel sincere and into it all yep. the time. Yep. Oh, it's such a... Yeah, I mean, how did, in my former life, it feels like, as kind of evangelical worship worship leader, how did we rate how a worship time went? Mm. Well, there were 30% of the people had their hands in the air. Yeah. Or more subjectively, I just felt God, you know? Yeah. And um, like we were talking earlier, feeling God is actually really important. Sure. You know, a relation, it's like saying in a marriage, of course a marriage isn't only I just feel love for my wife. Right. But if you never do, yeah. that's also a sign. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, so it's one of these uh, tensions, but I'll tell you what, from our tradition where it's only about the subjective sincerity and earnestness, it's such a gift to be led beyond that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah but one of the things, though, Aaron, that I think is so distinct, I mean, and you've been very honest, and I love that about, you know, you've been cynical, you live there, you kind of had your seasons yeah. there, but I feel like oh, yeah. you're not a person who's burning things down. I feel like you are building bridges and thinking in terms, I know we're both very familiar with Father Richard Rohr, who talks so eloquently about this whole idea of transcend and include. Yes. I'm curious, considering yes. like where you come from to where you are now, I, I, you know, I know some of the ways that you're kind of transcending where you came from, but how do you feel like you're still including yeah. Well, uh, I'll tell you just a silly story. Um, I, I was at this uh, event and they, they um, it was mostly kind of musicians and maybe post-evangelical people. I, uh, some, of, some of your friends were there, you would know. And so they asked me to just lead this little prayer time. So I said, well, I'm going to teach them. Um, my spiritual director, Father Michael, who you know, obviously, a uh, Jesuit priest, he taught us the Lord's Prayer with some very simple gestures, way to pray the Lord's Prayer with our whole bodies. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to teach this group of, it was, it was weird in retrospect, a group of post-evangelicals, like hand gestures, like we're at camp or something. <laughs> but it was in the context of this um, more embodied prayer and, you know, it shared a little about it. And I was walking out with another friend who grew up as an evangelical worship leader, and he goes, we did all these things, and that little weird thing was one of the most moving experiences of this whole event. Mm. Like, what a strange world. Mm. And, and we were kind of reflecting a little bit, and we, we realized as evangelicals, we have these skills to get everybody involved on board. Yeah, You know, like uh, in the worst sense, like how to work a room or mm -hmm. how to, you know, how to, mm -hmm. how to lead a room in some sort of uh, thing. And we were joking to each other, overstating a little bit up until this point, we just had no content. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that's an overstatement. But we, we um, more accurately, we just had a real narrow band of things that we would talk about yeah. as worship leaders. And, you know, it was mostly celebration and, and you know, uh, and we realized these skills that we had been taught as evangelical worship leaders mm. are actually wildly helpful mm. as we move into ecumenical work yeah. and into these other streams. So it's not like, well, forget all that. Now I'm just going to try to be really serious and mm-hmm. not bring my whole self into these wider streams. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a long story. I, ho- I hope that makes the point a little bit about things I'm trying to hold on to and bring yeah. into um these wider experiences. Yeah, that's really helpful. I think especially because whenever anybody starts on a journey like this, it just inevitably it feels either or. It feels like at first, oh, well, if I'm going to embrace this, I'll have to walk away from all of everything I learned over here. And you know what's the, who are the stupidest people? The last group we were a part of. Yeah, that's, but in that truth, yes. The last (laughs) step we were at is always the worst, dumbest you know, the, but the last step we're at is the step that got us here. Yeah. Thank God for that step. Yeah. Now we couldn't stay there mm-hmm. and thank God that God invited us beyond that step. But yeah, like just, there's such a, a back to Richard Rohr, everything belongs. Yes. And that, even that step had a purpose, you know, helping us move in these ways. Absolutely. Um, yeah. you're, as you're traveling more and, visiting different communities and leading different places like what yeah i'm curious if there's just even you know two or three things that are essential through lines in terms of people who are making this kind of journey like i mean maybe and i'm asking it very broadly but what's your sense of like big picture wise what the holy spirit is just doing in the church capital c right now through, yeah. the, through this whole movement, like if you were trying to describe it or narrow, like 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 what is it? What is this thing that God is doing? Yeah, I mean, I would never presume to say <laughs> exactly what it is, um, but what I hear is almost it's almost always the same thing. We love our church, we love our tradition, we love. There's got to be more. Mm. There's got to be more. Mm. And if it's a, a worship leader, uh, especially in the evangelical spaces, it's it's often the the fatigue of I can't just rock the house every Sunday. Yeah. Like there's got to be more than these kind of stadium rock worship experiences. Mm. And then some of my more mainline friends would just say, we, we have these treasures, mm. but like we're tired mm. and we're having a hard time um, building any more momentum in ourselves. Mm. Like there's gotta be more, there's gotta be more life and hope. And, um, I hear Jonathan and I bet you've heard this a million times. I've heard if I didn't work at my church, I never attend it every day of my life. I hear that. Yeah. Do you really? Mm, I do. Mm -hmm. Isn't that intense? Mm, How many of the pastors and worship leaders and they're good people. These aren't scoundrels who are just trying to make a buck. These are sincere Godly people who love their community, but when we have to whisper to some, you know, uh, I don't think I would attend here. Yeah. And yet, what do what do they do? You know, they try to bring change, and and they're doing small changes, but 
It's not that easy. Like it's this is an intense season we're in. And you know when you t- when I talk to senior leaders, um, the sense that they carry that livelihoods are at stake beyond their yes. own families and staff. Because yes. you know because that is the thing that I feel like maybe needs to be said. That's kind of elephant in the room. Like I'm very. I am a I, I, I have just a full hearted, full throated belief that these these streams can be brought together in a way that's beautiful yep. and that yep. can even though I don't think it's the goal, I absolutely think it's possible to yeah. to do these things and have a healthy kind of growth, even numeric growth or whatever. Yeah. But I yeah. still will say that if I'm honest, most any time I have seen a community make a shift like this, I have yet to see see one that has it taken considerable losses yeah, for right. a long time before there are any gains in that category. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're talking losses numerically and like from a tithing standpoint, which yes. really matters. Then yes. Not, yes. Um, then I I really agree with you. It's destabilizing. Um, there is usually a percentage of people who are coming to church to be comforted and reinforced right. in what they already believe. Right. And that's not a bad thing necessarily, but if you change anything, then they're out of here. Yeah, well, and especially like I think if the sense is, uh, I feel like a lot of what the kind of robust liturgy that we would contend for like offers is it's precisely what we need. It's it, yeah, like it speaks to the right. deepest needs of our souls, but it's not right. necessarily what everybody wants. It's not on the top <laughs> level course. what people are looking for. For one, yeah. I just think if nothing else, it's so participatory, like in a, in a world in which we're so conditioned now to be spectators yep. in general. Yep. This is right. it's kind of demanding in terms of all it requires of it's, people's engagement. It's absolutely right. And that's got to be more of what Jesus was talking about with the narrow road and the broad road. Yeah. Um, I mean, love your enemies. Mm. I don't want to do that. Mm. <laughs> like, have you met my enemies? <laughs> I don't, don't want to love them, you know? Right. Um and this path that Jesus invited, blessed are the poor, yeah. or blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, I want to be strong. I don't, you like, sure. blessed are those who mourn. I don't want to mourn. I want to celebrate. I want, you know, mm. so th- there is, there really is, uh, this invitation is difficult mm-hmm. and it's the way of life. Mm-hmm. So, um, but man, I agree with you. It's not just a, it's not just a, a concert and a pep rally. Yeah. Part of what I feel like is happening right now, and this is really, you talk about something that's undetectable or that, you know, or, or hard to quantify. And yeah. I don't, and I don't mean to go like super spiritual on this here, but the, the prayer that Jesus prays in John 17, that, he, that we would be one, that the church would be one man for yep. all the ways that I would not want to like overstate the significance of our time. And everybody thinks their time is important in some way. Yep. We're in a moment right now that is utterly unprecedented in the history of the church in terms of like, I think, I mean, this is verifiable. The data bears yeah. it out in every category. The lines have never been more fluid between Christian traditions than they yeah. are in this moment. Never before. Yep. The amount of yep. dialogue, the amount of interaction, yep. uh, you know, Catholic and Orthodox and Evangelical and Pentecostal and Charismatic. Yep. The, yep. The, the, I mean, I in ways that sometimes might be better, sometimes might be worse, but I find it so interesting how many different kinds of communities that I go to now, different denominations and traditions, and I can't really tell the difference in the yeah. worship experience yeah. about like, like all that's being blended in some way. And I have to yeah. think that somewhere in the midst of all that, that there's something of the Holy Spirit, like just 
just bringing that prayer to fulfillment with or without us, you know, like, like God's people have to be brought together because that is what God desires. That's so good. I love that. That is, and that is, you know, there's a lot to mourn and be worried about, you know, but that is a source of real hope. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It seems like at the intersections of faith and faith streams, is where some of the most exciting things happen. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan, that's something I've always really admired about you. Mm. Like you have this, this more Pentecostal charismatic spirit open to the spirit way of being. And yet you're so crazy, well-read and Mm. smart and intelligent and you bring this depth of knowledge. And then, you know, these last few years, especially, um, a more sacramental, like it's when this all flows together. I mean, you, yeah, you are such a, a compelling voice these days. Well, thank you for saying that. I just, I mean, that's, that means the world from you. I think I really have felt like, because interesting, Aaron, I mean, we became friends kind of towards the tail end of the time I was still in Charlotte, but so much has changed in my life. And I feel like you and Shauna, like your, your family, your, your house, even through all that, when I would come became such a constant for me and such an anchor. And it's, you know, it's just weird how, because I mean, I've navigated a lot of homelessness. Like, I mean, from, in terms of, you know, I was in North Carolina, I was in Oklahoma, I moved to Nashville. I'm kind of between ecclesial streams. Like it is in between in like every direction. So it's crazy how much even having these conversations and kind of being on this journey together, has helped give me a sense of, of home and like, you know, cause like, Hey, yeah. as long as I can go on this road with somebody else, I, I, I feel like I over talk these days about the Emmaus road, but I can't get past it. The fact that even these two disciples, when they're leaving Jerusalem, at least, well, they have each other yeah. and they're yeah. able it's to exactly share right. their despair <laughs> yep. and God meets them in that, you know, Christ yeah. walks among that. So, you know, well, go Jonathan, ahead. you and I met, um, I think my first conversation with you was in Tulsa at the first Praxis conference. Oh, that's right. Wow. And we had just started the practice maybe yeah. three or four months earlier. It was really new. And I was still feeling so alone. Mm. I was a part of a tradition that didn't understand me, didn't understand what I was trying to do. Um, and when I got to Praxis, there's probably 200 of us or yeah. something like that in the room. I remember looking around, listening to the first couple messages, thinking, oh, so I'm not crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we, we may not be right about all this, sure. but, but I'm not alone sure. in it. Sure. And that was so profound and mm-hmm. probably the most encouraging thing about this journey the last mm-hmm. five or six years was realizing there are so many people on it. And that, and I know for a fact that's people listening right now. It's, it's yeah. what I, it's yep. what I always hear. Like they're on the margins of their own respective communities. Yep. So within yep. that small circle, they feel yep. like they've lost their minds. But there's also yeah. this sense of, of, of calling, pulling from the spirit slash frustration with where they are and where they've been that like, yeah. Yeah. that keeps moving them forward. And I, and I would like maybe, maybe that'd be a good place to land, not to be negative, but you know, one of the things I love so much about your voice, Aaron, is I feel like, and, and you know, I know that this is hard fought for you and it's the same for me. I think, I mean, I think we both struggle with our own sense of like, we could both get in a gear where some days we do want to burn things down, <laughs> sure. but struggling yeah. to find a, yeah. you know, a more pastoral way. Like, so like yeah. you do such a good job of both critiquing what's, unhealthy, even on institutional level about where the church is and where, you know, some of the things that, you know, we talk so much about and yet 
you know, finding ways to be hopeful in the midst of that. I think the question I want to ask, and feel free to take it whatever direction you want to go, but like, to what extent at this point, um, and I mean, I don't know how much you even want to say about that moment, but we, because it does feel like such a crisis moment for the church in so many ways. Yeah. Like, to what extent do you have hope that within the existing framework that we have in a lot of our institutions and traditions that there are possibilities versus for renewal versus, you know, at what point is it like, you know, the whole new wine into old wine skins, yeah, it's right. got to burst. There's got to be new expressions. Like what's your yeah. sense of like wh- where there's hope for renewal versus where there just needs to be something, something else that kind of rises from the ashes. Absolutely. Oh, it's such a good question. Um, two responses. The first one Oh man, this is probably 10 years ago. I had a friend who's really wise and we were talking about church stuff, but this is like 10 years ago. And he said, he made a comment that I've never forgot. He said, when I look in the scriptures, I don't see a lot of transition. Mm. He says, it seems to me that God raises something up and then it dies. Wow. And then God raises something new up. And it's, it's way more Paschal mystery yeah. Then up and to the right indefinitely. Yeah. Um, and that really has stuck with me. Um, so, so I'm not super hopeful. I mean, you know, actually, back to Dallas Willard. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my friends was doing an interview with him and said, Dallas, we've been talking about what's wrong with the church for the last, you know, hour. How do you not lose hope? And Dallas just sat back in his chair and he said, Oh, the gates of hell will not overcome, overtake the church. Wow. And he says, I have no, I'm not worried about the church at all. But then he stopped and he said, but a lot of 501 and C3s are going to close their doors. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and I just, that tension together, this man who's seen it all, who says, I'm not worried about the church. But if you think that building down the street that, you know, is all whatever right now is going to last forever not a chance. Yeah. And there's something, Oof. there's a both end in there for me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Same here. And I don't know exactly what that means, but that instinct feels right. Yeah. I just, because yeah. I think like, I want to see, Oh, I, I love revitalization and I love to see like yeah. renewal in any yeah. form, but it also does seem like there's just something to that mystery of death and resurrection. Like unless the seed yeah. falls into the ground, right? you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> and you, it's also the trying to separate you know, even just take something as, you know, uh, contested right now is the word evangelicalism. You know, yeah. people, you know, <clears throat> people will ask, you know, what can we do to save evangelicalism or something like that? And I'm like, oh, not only do I have no interest <laughs> in, in saving evangelicalism, I don't think we can as a container. Yeah. I think there are enough parts of it that have ceased to be helpful and some mm. that have that are straight up unhelpful. But here's the other thing. There are millions of evangelicals that count me in with, like sincere, godly. Um, So it's like, how do you separate the the container from the people? Um, How do you, there's all these different things that I think some are worth saving and some we just need to let go. Yes. Which is a key distinction because to let go of a certain forum or an institutional structure is not the same thing as, 
letting go of people or like or not oh appreciating gosh, those absolutely. people who shaped or formed us in some way. Yeah, yeah. Look, can I bounce a, a, a little word picture off you? Please do. This isn't in the book or anything, but tell me what you think of this. Um, I was at a real kind of low point thinking about my tradition, just wanting to change everything or just, you know, in one of those burn it all down. And I was at lunch with a friend and she was telling me about her parents where they would call themselves marginally Catholic, had really no faith going on, say, but they went to a seeker service at a mega church, heard that kind of heard that story and Jesus revolutionized their life. Wow. They got saved. It changed their family. It changed their kids. It changed everything. And she was telling me, like, this is these are my parents. And she's like, mm. I don't like that kind of church. I don't mm. go, you know, but it it happened. Wow. And it was a great reminder of how helpful and beautiful that form is. But I started thinking about it. I wonder if it's more like you know, the, the, the ocean liner of some of these mainline forms of faith yeah. were, li- you know, listing and tipping and about to go down. And some of these evangelicals build these life rafts that then people who are jumping ship could land in these life rafts, yeah. which was really beautiful. Mm. Thank God. Talk about mm-hmm. saving, right? Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. Once everybody got in the life rafts, they said, okay, this is the new boat. Let's stay on this life raft indefinitely. Wow. And here we are, you know, two, three, four, five, gener- not generations, decades later, saying, I don't think this life raft was ever supposed to be mm. a whole a whole life. Yeah. Um, it was supposed to rescue us from something and bring us to something. Yes. But instead we got stuck here. Uh, wow. So it's, it's like you start a journey a- and you think you're at the destination. <laughs> You think you're there, yeah. but it was never meant. Um, another thing I've been saying: uh, evangelical is a spectacular um, adjective, but a really unhelpful noun. Yeah. And um, so there's just something there. I, I don't know. Man, I love, I love that, that image. Is very powerful, and I feel like you know because I think some of these things, you know, it's like I think it's that it is that way with anything that's more like prophetic, like widescreen, like sometimes. Images can take you so much further than language can, because I just think, man, there, there, there's something to that, because that I, I do feel like, and I, I still celebrate people connecting with Jesus, with God in any conceivable yeah. way. But I just feel yeah. like the lack of depth, it's, it's you know, it's killing us. Yeah. And yeah. as much as I'm trying not to harp on it right now, because I feel like I've, you know, I've. I've said plenty and folks know what I think, but famously the 81% of white evangelicals and Trump, like we just, we see, right. we just, we see where this thing has gone. We, we yeah. see where this system, yep. this way of yep. thinking about the world is taking us. Yep. And it's just, you know, it's yep. for all the things that might've been helpful. Cause I think part of what happens in that, you know, is that because people haven't been deeply shaped in their souls because we're not being formed, then it kind of becomes this notion that so long as you think that Jesus is Lord, what you believe about anything about how the world is ordered just simply doesn't matter. One more comment. It's like evangelicalism might be the greatest on-ramp to faith ever created in human history. Yeah. But you can't stay there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you know, it's like my, my, my son, he's going into first grade. Mm. First grade is absolutely critical when you're seven. Yeah. I mean, critical. Yeah. You can't get to second grade unless you go to first grade. Unless your first grade teacher thinks first grade is all there is to school and tries to keep you there, right. then it's really dangerous. Right. So. That's so good because it feels like that, right? Like this sense of like, it's just a, it's a river that, that, that is supposed to lead us back to the source. And that doesn't have to yeah. be, you know, to yeah. one particular tradition, but definitely to deeper tradition. Where do we come from? How do we get here? What's yeah. the story yeah. that... You know, of what's the story of the people who got here? Because I just think that's the that to me for all the things that are good about evangelism, evangelicalism. That's the real problem right there is that we always conceive of ourselves as being an ahistorical people, like we got right. the New Testament and then there's us, as if nothing meaningful <laughs> sure. happened in between, and sure. we just have no sense yep. of where we belong yep. in the story. Because my deal is, I don't even try to push people to be in one particular story, but just like, but you do need a story. You do need you, you need, need a, a history with a particular people. Yep. It just, you know, uh, do, would yep. you, well, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question and I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to give half of my answer to it in that one, like, because <laughs> I, I feel like so many people are going to hear this. A lot of them will be church leaders, some of them not, but for, for sure the through line, people who are in these more evangelical communities who are having this, this stirring, this longing for something more. Yeah. I would want to say yeah. to those folks first and foremost, please go get the eternal current right now amazon uh it wherever books are sold as we say like go get it right now you have to read this book i did the whole journey i feel like i desperately want to get this book in people's hands i can assure you i will do my part not just in spreading the word i'm going to be buying this book for so many people because oh, i feel like man. it's so important thank you i want everybody thank to read you. the book but beyond like the book itself what would you say to people who are feeling this stirring and this drawing but especially just kind of where they are right now within their ministry within their church or whatever just don't know where to start like where do i begin like i'm frustrated i know this isn't working for yes. me but i yes. don't really see a path forward from where i am like wh where would you tell them to, to begin oh that's such a good question couple thoughts first a big picture idea don't wait for the gatekeepers to give you permission to go on this journey. Mm. Don't, wow. if you spend all your, say you're a worship leader at, at a church that you want them to make some changes, you could spend all your effort trying to change a senior pastor's mind. Yeah. That's never going to change on that. Yeah. But, and the, 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 what's terrible about that is all that energy you had that could have been towards constructing something yes. or going on your own journey. Yes. Um, got spent trying to convince him. Yeah. And it's all, almost always a him, I'm sorry to yeah, say. That's fair. Um, so, so first thing, don't wait for the gatekeepers. Um, second, read and rub shoulders with people outside your tradition. Mm. And for me, it, it had to start with books because that it was a little safer. Like I couldn't yeah. have walked into an Eastern Orthodox. Like I just that was too far for me. Yeah. And it's it still is, man. When I go to through <laughs> sure. Eastern Orthodox, man, I never know where to stand. You know, <laughs> but it had to start with with books. Yeah. And so we've mentioned Richard Rohr. Yes. You know, everything belongs or falling upward. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's one a, a different one you'd recommend. Um, uh, Alexander Schmemann. Oh, Am I saying yeah. his last name that, right? Yes. Uh -huh. yes. For the life of the world. It is a 
game changer. I need to read it every six months mm-hmm. on a sacramental, not just theology, but sacramental view of everything. Yeah. Um, so um, another book who's now an Epis- Episcopal priest, Ian Cron. Yeah. He wrote uh, My Father, the CIA, and Me. He wrote Ch- Chasing Francis about this journey through streams. So to begin by reading from people outside our tradition um, and then getting around them. Mm-hmm. Attending for for me, it started with kind of special services. Like I'd drive downtown to go to the Good Friday Mass, mm-hmm. and I was just totally out of my out of my um, comfort zone. And did you go in disguise? No, no, I just go sit in the back row, and a lot of it was lost to me, and some of it was really not helpful. And moments broke through into my heart like I've never experienced. Mm-hmm. So, but it, it, it takes getting out of our, if it was just me and my disgruntled, uh, evangelical mid thirties, white male friends, mm-hmm. we were never getting anywhere other than just mad, more mad. Yeah. Um, so to get outside, uh, about four, five years ago, started doing weekly spiritual direction. I mean, mm. weekly, I wish monthly spiritual direction with a Jesuit priest. And it's mm. changed my life. Yeah. It has changed my life. So is that, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. So helpful. I mean, I feel like all and so practical and tangible, you know, one of the things and I, you know, I'll kind of land with this Aaron. I think I felt this about you for such a long time. And I feel like with the release of the book and all, it's just more kind of pronounced right now. I feel like you, you've you been on this journey where when you do kind of feel on the margins of your own community because of your experience, mm. everybody wants a sense of camaraderie and fellowship. And understandably, some people yeah. feel like they need to leave altogether. And sometimes, yeah. you know, what that looks like is people end up leaving the faith or they yes. leave, leave it for a season or an expression of it. Right. And there's no judgment on anybody else's journey. But I feel like part of what's happened with you is like where it might have been easier or better in in some ways for your heart to leave something altogether and to go into a very different space where you could just like kind of be. Yeah. You know, it seems like God has just had you stay in these same spaces. I think precisely so that other people who are caught in that kind of in-between would realize yeah. that it's possible to live in these tensions yeah. and find a way to hold them together. So that even yeah. if that's come at a great cost for you, where it might would have been like, you know, the, the, and again, nothing wrong with it. Just, you could have gone from one end of the continuum to another, found right. a whole new home, right. abandoned that, be fine. But I just feel right. like part of what God's ha- has you doing even now is like pioneering and carving out this new space to help other people find ways to stay connected to their native tradition. Oh, that's good. But that's, to practice oh, it in man, a very different way. Yeah, it feels like it's very much like, a, again, kind of a, you know, a representative journey. So I just appreciate you hanging with that. And I think your candor even about your your difficulty in holding those things together. And, you know, yeah. like oh, yeah. wanting to burn it down. And yet, yeah. you know, like I like I love all that. Um, the Gosh, I, I meant to say something about this so much longer. So I guess I'll, I'll let that be one more question. I'm just enjoying this yeah. conversation so much. I feel like I have to say, because when you started the practice at Willow, and I've spoken there so many times, and I've been around, and I, and I can tell you from all my travels far and wide, I've never seen another community that does this. What what you did with the practice, this idea that 
there's going to be roughly a 20-minute talk, but then there's going to be an equal amount of time, another 15, 20 minutes, that's specifically devoted to a practice where some yeah. some way of we're gonna we're gonna do something concrete and tangible with what we've heard. I have not seen that like like anywhere else. And once again, I feel like it's you know as much as it has a certain kind of appeal and a beauty to it, it's yeah. demanding. Like it's it's asking a lot yeah. of people. Like I, I just yeah. love you could say something about that in particular, this passion, not yeah. just for liturgy. But for yeah. communities to be shaped around actual practices, right? Oh man, thank you for asking that question. Um, yeah, I think <clears throat> uh, there's a couple reasons why I feel like it's important. Um, one is just kind of a, a silly analogy. Imagine going to a local fitness center because you want to get in shape for a marathon, and they take you to a back room. And they kind of have a U2 cover band, play a few songs, and then they have an expert on running, give a 45-minute lecture, and then they send you home. Mm. Like, that would actually be inspiring and helpful unless they said, come back next week and we'll do it again. Yeah. Come back next week, we'll do it again. And suddenly you realize my legs are haven't taken one literal step towards right. being able to run a marathon. Right. All I have is a, a, a inspired heart and a bigger brain. And so there's something there in, in, in terms of faith where um, Jesus invites us to participate yes. with Christ, with the people. And uh, so there's that there's kind of more big picture side. There's also the real practical side, like a church gathering can be really beautiful and inspiring. But when I go home, you know, Tuesday at lunch, mm-hmm. I can't generate that euphoric feeling of a couple hundred people in a rock band singing together. Mm-hmm. But you better believe I can pray the examine. Yeah, well. And I can pray and I can do centering prayer. Mm-hmm. And I can um, I mean you name it, these concrete practices I can take with me into my actual life. Yeah. And I think for me that's what you, you know, you've been there many times where we end every single practice gathering with remember friends Sunday is not the main event, yes. but our actual lives, Monday through Saturday, are the main event. Yes. So this week, as you practice, dot, dot, dot. Yes. And so I think it kind of helped launch us to participate, not just say, wow, that was awesome. I wonder what they'll do next Sunday. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I, I just think that that's been so important. I'd love to see other communities try to pioneer that same kind of that same kind of space, that same kind of idea. And you saying that, um, I think this would be a good place to, to like leave folks as much as I want people first and foremost to run, not walk, to go get the eternal current and to read it. I need to say, even as you just drove by mentioning, like you praying the examine, the new, the whole series of new liturgy recordings that you did. And like, and the one with father Michael on, you know, that actually gives a prayer of examine. I I, I long ago lost track of how many times I've done that. It's been so helpful (laughs) for my own prayer life. So if people want to download or like to engage those liturgies, what's where, where can they go to do that? Yeah. Well, everything now is just under my name website, AaronNequist.com. Okay. So two N's in there, Aaron, and then N-I-E-Q-U-I-S-T.com. But the project you're talking about is A New Liturgy. And Uh, that has its own website, too. It's under that, but anewliturgy.com. Okay. And yeah, as of this point, we have six different recorded liturgies that just guide you as you're driving or as you're walking in the neighborhood or as you're in the house or whatever. So 
Well, those have been so helpful for me. So thank oh, you cool. for Thanks. just for living out this story. Thank you for taking the time to to tell it in print the way that you are now. Yeah. And man, I would just I'm, I feel like I'm giving you plugs right and left, but I think this is just important. I really want to say too to like pastors and church leaders who are out there who are looking for guidance to take people on this kind of journey. Man, I just I can't recommend strongly mm-hmm. enough that you. I mean, I, I know Aaron, you, you're doing a lot more of that these days in terms of leading uh, staff leaders or, or, or maybe broader, like, you know, retreats within churches to help take people on this journey. So I just hope people will yeah. fully take advantage of the resource that you are in that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, cause I just, I always felt like that with the practice, like as important as it was for that local community at, at Willow, it felt like there was something in you that like this, this is for all kinds of communities. This, the, the practice sure. needs to be happening yeah, everywhere yeah. Yeah. on a broader oh, scale. So. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, thank you for the it's time. Really fun the, to be on this journey. With oh, you. totally, totally. I'm yeah. glad, and we're and we're yeah. still on it, and uh, we, we are old uh, got a long way to go. But like this is, <laughs> but man, it's a uh, no. It, the book's phenomenal. I'm so yeah. proud of you, and thankful for your your voice and your leadership, and just uh, appreciate the time a lot, man. Thanks. Blessings to you. Okay, love you. Thank you for listening today, everyone. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram. To support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash sonofapreacherman. We would truly appreciate the support. And remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast comes to show you the love that calls you by your true name. Have a good day.